0: Open up to Ephesians chapter 1. We've been talking about the prayer life of Paul, and we've been looking at different either aspects of his prayer life, or we've been looking at certain prayers. One of the things that he repeats in his prayer life has been this, this topic of power. This week we're going to look at that topic of power, and we're going to remain kind of look, stay in one book, because this book kind of packs a lot of his theology of power, and how he prays about power in, in Ephesians, two different sections in all. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 1. I want us to read the passage, but then when we actually look at it to study it, we're going to condense it and look at the middle part of it. Let's start Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. I'm going to read the whole thing because it's kind of crazy good. And then we're going to do the same thing when we get into chapter 3. It's going to be a longer passage because it's, a, it's great but we're going to look at only a part of it, all right? So uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15, I'm reading from the New American Standard. I'll meet you at the end. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom, of revelation, and the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Those, these are in accordance with the working of his strength, of his might, which he brought about in Christ. When he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age but in all, but in also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Wow. Wow. One pastor suggested that the aspirations and desires of our heart can often, and even the things that we're anxious about, can often be seen and learned as we listen to our prayers. So let me ask you something. What do you learn about Paul when you read that prayer? Talk to me. What do you learn about Paul? when you read that prayer he surrendered great great what else do you learn about Paul when you read that prayer yeah Cindy yeah good word he lived these things he's experienced them and that's why he's praying them for others right very good word what else his concern for others right right he wants the very best for them And he's experienced this, and he wants the same thing for them. Yeah, well said. Anyone else? What else do you learn about Paul through this prayer? Scott? Very Christ-centered. Very Christ-centered. Right. Good word. Very Christ-centered. Yeah. John? Right, exactly. He's in awe, and he's on a roll, and he can't hardly stop himself. Let's, let's, right there, let's just pause for a minute, because it's so true. Flip over to chapter 3, because he's still kind of wound up when he gets there. Chapter 3, verse 14. So there's a two-chapter break. I don't know how long that was, but I have a feeling that where he was in chapter 1, he's still in chapter 3. And I'm just reading this because of John's comment. It is true. The dude is in awe. He is captivated by this. And he's trying to convey the fullness of it to the very best that his human words will allow. And he says this. Chapter 3, verse 14. Start there. And for this reason... I bow down my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, and he, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and that in you, being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth, the width, the height, the depth, And to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all we could ask and think according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Wouldn't you love to have this dude preaching? To have this guy who's experienced it in such a deep, intimate, first-hand way. And so what he does is he does this. And he tries to grasp everything that he's experienced in God and put them into some words. <coughs> some ink on paper, or in his case, parchment. He's tried to convey something that our minds cannot completely comprehend. Crazy, isn't it? And so, don't you think then, having said that, it makes such common sense that the first thing he says in chapter 1 is that I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Here we are speaking about something that is totally foreign to our world we have volcanoes that do things that we cannot comprehend we have earthquakes that do things that we cannot comprehend we have tornadoes and hurricanes we have these things in the natural forces that we don't know how they quite work we can't tell you when they're going to happen but when they happen you know it and there's no escaping it we have that stuff in our experience and we know about that but then he goes there's this other thing and it's god and it's his power And he says, now that, that, you can't comprehend that with these things, with these two working eyes. You need the Holy Spirit to understand that. And so what I pray for you, he says, is that the eyes of your heart, so you'll be able to see things in your spirit that you cannot see with the eyes that God gave you. Doesn't that make sense? Doesn't that make sense? He says, I am about to talk to you about something. I am praying something for you that is so above what any of us have ever experienced. It's so above what any of us have ever seen that that you, I'm asking that God would just open up your eyes of your heart, that he would open up your spirit, that you could kind of begin to grasp even a little bit of this because whatever you get of it is something you've never experienced before. This is pure stuff. And it makes me think about the verse that I even prayed a moment ago. And if you go to Psalm 119 and just read through it, time and again, the psalmist is talking about God's word and the power and the impact of it. And there's that phrase that I love out of verse 18, and I pray it for us and for myself often. And and, and that's where the psalmist said, Open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. How many times have you gone through through the Bible and you've read you know, whatever your favorite book is, time and again, time and again, time and again, and you come to that book again, you go, and you start reading it, and you go, I've never read that before. That only happens not because somebody has snuck something into your Bible, but because the Holy Spirit is at work in your life in such a way that when you come across that passage this time, that's what He's speaking to you. He's opened up the eyes of your heart that you may see something wonderful in His law. And that is the beauty of like God's spirit at work in us. Because today, there, it could be anything that I might say. It could be something that we sang, a phrase in a song. It could be something that Paul said. It could be something that someone around you said. And it's like, it means nothing to anyone else in this room, but God takes that and he, he, he kind of like, takes that and he, and he dips that arrow in the potion that your heart needs and then he flings it and he shoots it right at you. This stuff you're hearing right now is nothing but air coming through a vocal cord. It has no power, no meaning, no opportunity in it. It has nothing about it that can affect change in your life. It has no eternal value at all. All of us can talk some of us, too much. And yet, what I am doing right now, when I do it about this, he takes this, and with that energy, with that power, with that spirit, he takes it, and he fine-tunes it, and he says, what I just said, that was for you. Here, have that. And what I just said, that was for you. Have that. It was two different things. It was the same thing. Two different lives, two different circumstances. He fine-tunes it, and he says, that was especially for you. And you walk out of here this morning, and you say, how Did you know I was going through that? And I'm just like, I didn't. God did. He's at work in your life. You better enjoy it. Make the most of it. That is his power at work in you. And he says, I pray that God would open up the eyes of your heart to see it, to know it, and to experience it. Jesus told his disciples in John 16 when he, he's speaking now in, in that upper room discourse. This is after he's just washed the feet of the disciples and he has just shared the last supper with them. Judas has just left to betray him and he's sat down with them and he says, you need to know a few things right now. And he begins to talk to them about what's to happen next. And in doing so, he shares with them about this helper who's going to come. And so in John 16, he says, when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you in all truth. And so what he says is he, revi- he reveals to our minds the whole counsel of God as it relates to anything at all in our life. And he, that spirit that resides in us, is the ultimate guide. He's going before us. He's leading the way. He's removing obstructions. He's putting obstructions in the way. Don't forget about the donkey. You know, in Balaam and the donkey and stuff. He puts obstructions in the way. He opens up understanding. He makes things clear. He makes things plain. And he prays in this passage that that spirit, that I would open up. What is he, in this passage, he says, so that you may know what is the hope of his calling. Verse 18 right there. Hope. It's this, you know, it's a nice girl's name. Hopefully, it's a nice girl's name. And in Greek, it is the looking forward to something with great reason for a confident, um, confident, respecting fulfillment, hope, expectation, eager watchfulness. So read this passage now, and he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened so that you may know the hope of your calling, so that you may have eager watchfulness about your calling, so you might have great expectation about what he's doing in your life. And he says, we have been called, and he says, hope for your calling that are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. We've been called to a future and to a hope. To look forward and to anticipate something, to look forward and see something happening in our future, and, and, and the scripture even says, there's nothing wrong with asking for that to hurry up. You know, dear Lord, come quickly, Maranatha. First Peter, second Peter. Paul prays for our hope to expand. And he, and he prays that, that hope would embrace a big future. Rather than be shriveled in pain and bitterness and discouragement or to die in a parched kind of desert of our soul, he prays that you have hope for what can be instead of a spiritual starvation. And he takes this hope, and he hitches a wagon to it, and he says, I'm praying that you understand that. I'm praying that he opens up your eyes so you begin to grasp that. And then he begins to expand what this hope is. You remember, last week, I talked about our adoption of the the boys. And I talked to you about that my sons, although they have no Genes or blood will get everything I leave behind. They are so lucky. Um, (laughs) And yet, he talks about inheritance here. For us. Because we have been adopted into a family. But the nice thing is, this family has got it going on. This family has got something happening. Let me just ask you something here. Let's imagine you had two family members. You know, say you have two uncles and they were twins. And let's say that they died in the same year and it comes time to look at their wills and to open them up and read them. One uncle was filthy rich and the other uncle died owing you money. And they're going to open up the wills and read them. And they say... One uncle's will would be read on Tuesday night when you have worship practice. The other uncle's will would be read Friday morning at 10 when you're at work and have a meeting. Now, the rich uncle's will is being read during worship practice. I bet you don't go to your boss and ask to get out of work to go hear that will read. But I bet you leave Paul McIntyre standing high and dry on Tuesday night to go hear that will be read. Because that rich uncle, you're like going, I could get something out of this. I was his favorite. We all think we're his favorites, don't we? (laughs) But think about this. We all even believe that about the Lord. I'm his favorite. And so we'll be there on Tuesday night to hear the will read. Because we know that that uncle had a lot to give away. And we think we're going to get something. There is a hope about that inheritance that he left behind. And what Paul says is here is we have an inheritance that is not something that is we can hope for, and it's not what we hope we get. It's like we don't know what we're going to get. We have some anticipation about it. He says in this inheritance, you not only can hope for it, but you are guaranteed to get something. Pay attention to it. Keep reading through there, hope of his calling, which are the riches of the glory of his inheritance to all the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Many of us know about heaven. Many of us know about know about where we are to go. Many of us know of what we're promised. I bet if I went to this room and I asked one of the newest Christians in this room, they'd be able to say, well, um, it's going to be heaven and I heard that it has streets of gold and there'll be people with wings there and Jesus would be there and I heard that you don't cry there and they'll name off a bunch of things that are true. But what keeps us from being excited about that? Talk to me. What keeps us from being excited about even the small stuff we know about our hope and glory. What keeps us from being excited about that? Talk to me. So fix, our here, fix our eyes on what's here, what can be seen. What else? Scott? that's so true he said unbelief at one level we go oh that's great that's really true and another level i going, going i really hope it's true when i get there right right cindy tell me what you said again we fix our, our eyes on it so one thing has to do with where we position our vision the other thing has to do with what we believe great comments i think those are both true and so what does he say about that he says first of all he says i hope that god opens up your eyes so you can see this so that you can know what the hope of your calling is, so that you can understand the riches that you have coming to you when they read this will for this great, great father of yours that you've been adopted into his family. And he says, and in that is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe. Pause. This morning, there are probably some people in this room who are believers and they've experienced that power and they can attest to it. I can walk through this room, and I can point to some of you because I know your stories. I can point to your story, I know it. I can point to your story, I know it. I can point to your story, I know it. I can do that. There are some of us in this room who have been Christians for a while, and we're not saying, I don't know that I've ever experienced that. There are some of you in this room who have never trusted Christ and you have no concept of this. Because it says here that this surpassing greatness of his power is toward us who believe. Believe. This power, this hope, this opening up your minds, this spirit that works within us, works among us even in this room, that stuff is reserved for those who have said, I believe that Christ is my Savior, I believe that Christ died for my sins, and that if I believe that, that he adopts me. You know, I just got to tell you, Grant and Owen had nothing to do with us adopting them. They didn't write us a letter and say, look at me, I'm a great kid, I sleep through the night, I only poop on regular hours, I don't ever blow up my diaper. They didn't write any kind of resume like that at all. They had no input at all as to why we should adopt them, we just did it. You have nothing to bring to God and say, this is who I am, and therefore you should adopt me. Matter of fact, the opposite is true. He looks at you and says, I would never adopt you except for I love you. And because I love you, I sent my son to to pay your penalty so that you can come into my family. And those who believe that have the opportunity to experience what we're talking about here today. So this surpassing greatness of the power toward us who believe, this is in accordance with the work of his strength, of the working of the strength of his might. And then he goes, what what strength is that? You know, it's one thing for a dude to tell you he's strong. It's another thing to see you a dude start benching a lot of weights to pick up something really strong. It's one thing to say something, it's another thing to prove it. And what he does in this passage, he goes, okay, do I need to explain to you the might, the power that's at hand, that's at your disposal, that's working inside of you, if you were to tap into it. Do you want to know about that? Let me tell you about that right here. And so he says it here in verse 19 and 20. So this might that is at work, that is at your disposal, that you've inherited when you became God's kid, he says, that stuff right there, it brought about in Christ, it raised him from the dead. He is seated at the right hand of the heavenly places. So first of all, think about this. That might, that power, that is at our disposal, that is ours to have, is the same thing that brought him from the grave. That's pretty crazy. I don't know how to explain that to you. Right now, we should just pause and pray and say, Dear God, help us understand that, because none of us can fathom it. The power that brought a dude from the grave after being dead for three days is at my disposal? So this is what I think happens to us as Christians. We go to the rich uncle's will reading. We read it, and it says, Dear Joan, I'd like to tell you, you have great power at your disposal. And you go, Great! Wonderful! What else? And we move right beyond it and say, I want the toys. Did I get the car? No, wait, wait, I'm sorry, John. Let me just tell you one more time. You got power beyond comprehension. Thank you so much. There was a 66 Mustang in the garage. Who got that? No, let me just pause again. You got power beyond comprehension. The same thing that brought Christ from the dead, that's yours. It's yours. Great. I still didn't hear you talk about the Mustang. We keep moving on to this other stuff. And he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart would be open to see what he gave you. Would be able to understand what is at your disposal. Because even me as Paul, I'm having a hard time trying to tell you about it. But let me unpack it a little bit further. Let me just tell you a little bit more about the power of this Christ because this power of this Christ, he's sitting at the right hand of heavenly places and he is far and above all rule, All authority, all power, all dominion, any other word, you could fit in verse 21. I would put it in there, but these are the only ones I can think of right now. All these words, all this rule, all this authority, all this power, all this dominion, everything I can think of, all that stuff, he has. It's his. Matter of fact, it's all been put under his feet, verse 22. And he rules over all of it. This is him. He's got it all going on. The power that made that possible for him, he has taken, and when you said, I believe in Christ, he's taken it, and he says, it's yours. Boom! Injected. Turn it on. Use it, baby. It's ours. He says, that is the power that I pray that you grasp, that you understand. And still... In his Pauline excitement. In chapter 3. He goes on further. And he says. For this reason. I bow down. Before the father. Whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. That he. He would grant you according to the riches of his glory. In other words, that he would grant you all the stuff he's promised you in his will that you get because you've inherited. I pray that you would would understand that he would give you that. I pray that he would give that to you, that you would grasp it. According to the riches of his glory, verse 16, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. In other words, this is not something you can attain. This is not something you can, it doesn't matter how many reps you do. It doesn't matter how long you run. It doesn't matter any of that kind stuff. It means that you open yourself up to him and say, I need your power. I am desperate for your power. Left apart from you, I have nothing to offer. And he says, I pray that you be strengthened with his power through his spirit in you. There's nothing you can do. It's his spirit in you that gives you that power. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith and that you may be rooted and grounded in love and you may be able to comprehend all with all the saints, the breadth, the width, the length, the depth and to know the love of Christ which surpasses all knowledge that you may be filled up to the fullness of God. And now to that God who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, Uber, maximize, ultra, epic, whatever word you want to put in there, he's able to do all that and more to that God according to his power that works within us to him be the glory in this church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. I think... He's telling us that the Christ that resides in us has power. And it's ours to have. And he's praying that God would help us grasp that. Aren't you glad? that there's someone else besides yourself that needs help understanding that power and grasping it. When Paul was praying for these Christians, we don't seem praying that much about cure from disease. We don't seem praying that much about their health or their wealth or their enemies, although he does mention it. But we see him taking a lot of time to praying for them and saying, I just pray that somehow or another that you would begin to understand the power that Christ has given you. When Paul is praying for people, he's praying for them to understand God's power. When we're praying for each other, let's pray that same thing. When you're praying for me, I'm desperately in need of his power. And if you ever pray anything for me, that it would be that. And I would do likewise for you. Let's pray.